0: Welcome to the A to Z Sports Preds NashCast, a.k.a. Beaver and the Brute on 1100 The Sports Disease. I'm your host, Alex Darty. I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Link, who came up with that wonderful title for us. Uh, today, it has been a very revealing week for the Nashville Predators. A 3-2 loss to Dallas, a back-to-back, back-to-back overtime and shootout wins for Chicago, and then a 4-3 loss to Tampa. We will discuss the week that was for the Preds. Um, they are now 4-4 four and four on the season. Um, so we saw some things this week to show us just how average and mediocre the Preds truly are. Nothing nothing really should have surprised us, as you've pointed out before. Uh, uh, we will discuss that. And then we are going to talk about the odd life of John Hines. Some things that John Hines does that are just simply bizarre. Hmm. How was your week, Link?
1: Uh, well, one, the the lead in name is is courtesy of Tim Burke's uh, sports show generator more I think it's a morning show generator that he made for Deadspin a long time ago that he rehosted recently so I thought it was a great time to revive it and see what sort of morning show you and I would produce and uh, frankly I was I was appalled which feels appropriate for a morning show uh, yeah. as far as my actual week it was my uh, I started a new job on Monday last week that's right. Um, so it was a lot of acclamation, a lot of information overload, a lot of oh hey, I, I gotta, I gotta do good, I gotta <laughs> get stuff done. Um, so <laughs> this weekend has been a welcome respite, even as the predators have not been quite so uh, refreshing
0: right information overload uh, trying to get things done that would be a good way to describe the predators against uh, any good team that in NHL that is Dante Fabro night in and night out <laughs> yeah that se- that seems to be a, a, a common theme with this team like how can they get a win when they really maybe aren't that very aren't very good um, so we, we saw the team this week uh, sort of push the boundaries of mediocrity. Uh, I I would say because they, they, they found two wins out of two Chicago, a Chicago team that is just not very good. And then they had two losses against, you know, Dallas again. And then also Tampa last night on Saturday. Um, you know, that brings them to four and four in the season. They are currently, you know, it's early, but they're currently outside of the playoff bubble, right? Comfortably where they were last year. Um, it seems like we're seeing the exact same things happen to the Predators this year that we saw last year uh, or even just previous weeks this year. Uh, Bad, bad special teams, no offensive depth, just so many terrible things going wrong in their own zone and on the other, and the other end, especially in the penalty kill. Um, Goaltending just not good enough to keep them in it. You know, for years the goaltending was, was enough to keep the Predators in it and it's just not right now. So Um, what did you think this week? What did, what did you see this week out of the Predators? I I saw a
1: lot of effort. I saw a lot of hard work. I saw a willingness to stand up for their teammates. Now, these are things that don't in and of themselves win games when you lack talent and a strategic, good strategic plan, um, which are things I definitely don't have not seen. Uh, you know, the Dallas game was another Dallas game. The Predators didn't look. Great, even though it was close. I mean, that's, that seems to be a theme that I want to point out, is that the Predators continue to not look good, in in, but they continue to have close games. Yes. Um, I, this just keeps reminding me of the Barry Trotz years still. Like, there's a team on the ice and a bunch of likable dudes, and they work real hard, and they commit to the style that's being played, and they do what the coach asks, and they sort of get by and they're like a 500 team and they, they try to make the playoffs. Um, you wouldn't think a team with Philip Forsberg and Matthew Shane and Ryan Johansson and Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis would be that sort of team, but they are. Um, and, you know, we'll, I know this is our main theme for the day, but it's just, it's perplexing how coach Hines can't get more out of these guys. Now I want to, couch something is that I think Duchesne especially has been really, really effective at everything but scoring goals this year.
0: Yeah.
1: It's one yeah. of the most perplexing things is he does agree. so
0: much stuff, right? And he cannot seem to get a goal on the board. The The game in Tampa last night, he, if you, if you were watching to the end, he, uh, the, he basically the, the, what would have been the game tying goal? He hit off the post, uh, with, what 30 seconds left in the game yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's just
1: him all over and i'm sure he's frustrated and the frustration probably makes it more difficult but he's the thing is he's still going out there and doing the work to create offense it's just nothing's coming of it
0: yeah no i i, I would agree with all that the, the special teams is the particular is the part of this that's the most frustrating look special teams only take up like 20 percent of the game like in terms of time in, in terms of you know minutes of the game 20 to maybe 25% of the game mm-hmm. usually uh but it is just destroying the predators right now because they have the worst penalty kill in the league 31st fit dead last 63% on the penalty kill I which is
1: it's what 12 of the 24 goals created the predators have come yep. on the power play
0: yeah yeah half half have been on the I power mean... play or half have been on the penalty half have been at even strength, right?
1: How much longer do you just beat your head against the wall as as
0: the, the PK coach, the special teams coach, and realize that it's not working? I think part of it is, you know, they, they've tried to change it up. they tried to give Roman Yossi not as much PK time. They have all these new players like Eric Halla and Nick Cousins coming in and trying to do it. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think they are... this is And this is the thing. We're, we're, we're
1: going to get to this a lot. If you're struggling... To do if you're struggling the PK if you're struggling on offense the solution is not to give your most talented players less opportunities to be talented yeah <laughs> and to do their right. job but that seems <laughs> to be the philosophy of this hockey team is that right. it, it, oh
0: yeah I know you, you you said it well there and and the power play I think is another example of that uh, the power play did manage to score a couple game a couple goals against uh tampa although i would say one of them the matthew olivier goal was the exact opposite of what they have been trying to do but somehow he just did like they threw matthew olivier out there and he just goes directly to the net almost as if like he was breaking a rule (laughs) He just like beelines to the front of the net and then scores and so he i Matthew Olivier is not going to be a part of the power play moving forward. So you can almost count that as not a power tell, play.
1: Tell that to Predators fans because I think they're convinced that he is like some type of like, yeah. you know, like a tragic Southern hero come to save <laughs> Nashville at this yes. point.
0: The hero from Biloxi come oh. to save the power play. Yeah. He when he was a,
1: when he when he was moving back to Canada at the ripe age of three months old, he really <laughs> brought a lot of that Southern culture back with him. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I was <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that was pretty silly. But uh, so they've the 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 predators, the penalty kill the spe- the power play the special teams overall has been awful. They've uh, really hurt the team uh, just from from day one of this season. Um, you feel like it's gonna just get better, but it never does. So why 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 would it? It doesn't <laughs> doesn't seem like it'll it'll change uh, much. I I'm still holding out. You know, some thought that the pr- the penalty kill will improve. I don't think it's going to be sixty three percent all season. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, they have too much too many talented players to to let that happen. Um, uh, they got to
1: work on. I mean, on the the PK, the issues you, you have discipline issues, you have positioning issues,
0: yeah, you have communication
1: issues. Th- these are all things that I can see happening on these penalty kills. Um, it you know it's happening at five on five too. But it's definitely happening. In the, and if it's happening at 5-5, five five, it's going to happen on the PK. Um, I mean, the, the, the thing that killed me, I almost turned the game off yesterday. I think it was the second Tampa goal. Um, the one that, that uh, Foote. Cal, Cal
0: and Foot Cal, yeah. Cal, Cal Foot sure. scored.
1: It, it, you know, he, I don't even know if this directly led to the goal happening. It may have happened because the, the shot was so perfect. I don't even know if it would would have affected it. But what happened is you had uh, Fabro, who's covering the front of the net and being kind of Renee's guardian. And Stamkos was coming down the middle of the ice. And so Fabro looks, sees Stephen Stamkos coming out, and is like, oh, I got to cover Stephen Stamkos. So he starts mm-hmm. skating out. And what he didn't apparently see is that Cunnan was already uh, getting onto Stamkos. Cunnan actually looked over. You can see yeah. if you watch the replay. He looks over and he sees Fabro and he... Clearly doesn't expect Fabro to be coming out to double man Stamco So now you've got two people in Stamcos. Nobody foot, in yeah. front of Rene. Foot is off somewhere else. Uh Pilat is actually now who was behind the net. Nobody knew he was there. Fabro leaves Pilat totally uncovered. So so now even if Foot puts it off of Rene's pads or there's any kind of issue. There's a rebound. was there totally yeah. unmarked. Well, yeah. you have two guys up high. In the slot covering Stamkos, who is not part of the play yet, uh, that is just typical at this point. That, there's that no communication, great. no yeah. awareness, uh, and it, and I don't know if that caused the goal because it it was involving two players who weren't directly involved. But it certainly didn't help to pull all of that manpower away from Renee and leave Renee one on one, or really two on one at that point.
0: Well, I would so I, I want to add two things. I think that's a great example of what you brought out about the penalty kill. Uh, it it, it's, it struggles right now. I think that was even strength. <laughs> the, the Cal foot goal, I think, was a power play goal. Was it? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I can double-check that. But um, but what I was going to mention was, so the first thing you mentioned was, oh, no, you're right. It wasn't even strength. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, two things there. Number one, new players. Luke Cunning has never worked with Dante Fabro prior to the season, so he... he not maybe aware of Dante Fabro's, uh, shall we say, struggles in the defensive zone, it, 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 in, in particular with matching up players and maybe getting a little bit lost there because that's one of his struggles. And then the other thing is goaltending not saving the day. Look, pecarine of five years ago, he probably stops that goal. I mean, that's that's not a great angle for a shooter. I mean, he was a little deep, you know. He was pretty, pretty deep into the circle. It wasn't like... Uh, it wasn't exactly where Stamkos normally scores. It was where it was just kind of a deeper goal. It wasn't yeah, something that normally you would expect Pecorino to stop that, but he, he doesn't really even come close and he lets it in. So uh, that's all the only thing I would add is you got a combination of what you mentioned about, you know, defensive matching up and then also uh, new guys playing with new guys and, and, and goaltending, not saving the day. This was, have, that was, a, you want to go, go deep on that,
1: that, callen foot goal so here's some here's some deep deep stats you don't necessarily need so okay. that came from 40 feet out 40 feet at an angle of 51 degrees so this that's a you know not the sharpest angle but not like a high probability area mm-hmm. it had expected goal value of 2.2%
0: yeah there you go 2. Like, 2.2% you would expect Pecrine to stop that all day like that was i mean
1: now I will say it was a hard shot. It was a precise shot. Um, and it was on Rene's blocker side. And, you know, he's, of course, his, his legendary for his glove. Yeah, um, His blocker side is not as strong, but it is, it's historically been
0: good. But I think he was just caught. I think Rene was caught a little bit off guard. Um, I think it's safe to say that that was the turning point that, that that gave. I think the Predators had just missed a chance on the other end. And, and they, 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 give up, uh, they give up that. It's 2-1. Then it's 3-1. Obviously, when they go down 4-1, it's just, you know. They didn't have enough to come back. And in the third period, you know, their uh, their chances were there and, you know, they they could have tied it up. But the game really was kind of lost in that second period, of course, and uh, in particular, that moment right there. Um, So that's a that's a really good point. Um, Let's see. There was something else. Oh, I was going to mention this. I I don't want to derail the show here, but I I did want to talk about this because this was fun. In the middle of that game, I just as soon as as soon as the Predators give up a goal to a player who scores their first ever NHL goal. You see this narrative that's like, the Predators have given up an historical number of, of first goals to NHL players. It, they, they give up more first goals than anyone. And the truth is that, that there's there's really nothing to that. I mean, look, there's been a, thousands of NHL players that have played in the league uh, a lot of them are going to score their first goals. Some of them are going to be against the Nashville Predators. So just some numbers here. That was actually the 74th. Calfoot became the 74th player to score his first goal against the Predators. They've been around since 1998. Just for some comparison, other teams have had something similar. Minnesota has given up 69 uh, first goalers. I'm calling them first goalers. Columbus has 66. They were, they were established a couple years later. Um, but... The list of players that scored their first goal against the Predators, it's not bad. It's its like, you know, there's not like Hall of Famers on there, except for maybe one. Um, you're talking about like Dustin Bufflin scored his first goal against the Predators. Did you know that? I did not know that. Brian Gianta. Jonathan Chichu. Wait, 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 wait. Brian Gionta? Scored his first goal Jonathan against Jonathan Chichu. Yes.
1: God, that's yeah. an interesting list.
0: The other two names that just stood out to me: Chris Kunitz and uh, Tyson Berry uh, hmm, okay. scored their first goals. There were two former, pre- sorry, two two players who played for the Predators who had originally scored their first goal against the Predators: Eric Niestrom and Rocco Grimaldi. So it was a. The, the, while everyone else was wallowing in a in a horrible second period, I was just looking up stats like that against uh, against the Predators. That was a lot of fun. So
1: I mean, it's certainly a, a probably a really good use of your
0: time. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Brian Gianta, That would surprise me too because he played forever, and uh, yeah, I think his first goal was like 2000 or something, 2001. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, because he's he's thoroughly retired. He's been retired for a while. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But no, actually he just retired in twenty eighteen.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. That's right. He came back to play and didn't he play like on the Olympic team or something randomly? Uh,
1: he yeah, he did. He played a couple games. he played a handful of games for the the US Olympic team.
0: Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, anyways, just wanted to bring that up because that was that was fun uh for me anyways. Uh but the game was I not know. fun for Predators fans because they lost. Uh the Predators lost and they are now four and four as we I
1: yeah they had kind of down games against Dallas down game against Tampa where they looked sort of dull they back to back overtime wins again yeah we didn't talk about Chicago. that let's, let's, I mean on that. this they made Malcolm Suban <laughs> look like look more like Grant Fur. like like i mean I don't, I don't, I don't even know what to say about those games because the Predators come out, they should be dominant, and they just looked dull in a lot of cases. Like they couldn't get anything done.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I think that's what I would say about those games is that they were way closer than they should have been. Um, the the Predators played essentially the same kind of game against the Chicago that they did against Dallas and Tampa. Only Chicago is terrible, and they were able to squeak out two overtime wins against a team like Chicago in which they lost in regulation to Dallas and Tampa. So the, I don't think they played much different at all in any of those games. Um, I, I, I think that the, the second Chicago game was better defensively. They were, they were pretty strong defensively in that one. Uh, Chicago did not have much going offensively in that game. Um, no. And then in the first one, remember that was the one where Patrick Kane had no shots or whatever. And I think they, they were keyed in on trying to stop their top players uh, and then almost ended up losing to their their bottom players. Um, although the line is quite blurred for Chicago these days. Uh, so, look, look the, the, the overtime winner by Roman Yosi, beautiful goal. I mean, you can't say much more about that. It was a great play from him. Mikhail Granlund pulled his defender away, and there was a, a rough switch on Chicago's end, and Roman Yossi scores. And then the shootout winner, Matt Duchesne, finally getting on the board, at least in some manner. Um, so those are, those are fine wins, but, but I think that what I see from this team is, you know, in the past, the Predators have been that team that has struggled against bad teams and then been like somehow good against good teams. I feel like this year is going to be the opposite. I think I've mentioned this before. I feel, I feel like this team's going to lose to teams that it needs to lose to like Tampa and they're going to win against teams that they probably should just beat like Chicago, probably Detroit. Um, which would put them right in the middle of the r- average. You know, that's going to put them right at average. If they're, losing to, if they're losing to Tampa and Dallas and Carolina and they're beating Detroit and Chicago and maybe Florida, they're going to be right there in the middle and maybe um, on the playoff bubble.
1: I, I think the team so far, and I don't really, like I've been waiting. I mean, you, before we started recording, we were talking about like, hey, we're getting to that quarter point in the season. We have another week and a half before we're there really with, with um, the Predators having just three games next week. Uh, But this this team isn't as good as I thought they would be. Now, that's a very loaded statement. There's a lot of conditions because I thought they were going to be like, you know, a little bit, maybe 55, 60% chance of making the playoffs. But they don't have the defensive organization I thought they were going to have. I don't see consistently the harder to play against. It seems like the harder to play against is more taking penalties and, and then getting frustrated, I don't yeah. see them being more difficult to play against. Dallas came out and said, "You guys are you guys are tougher now." No, you're not. Improve uh, and, <laughs> and just just boss them around. Um, that's what frustrates me. Is I don't see the structure. I don't see the discipline that a squad like the National Predators needs to be successful. Because I think they have so many tools that they just can't pull them together. And and I don't have any explanation consistently for why they can't get production out of their top six. I, I I'm still working on figuring that out. I'm sure there's some people out there who like look at it and are like, I know the answer. I don't, I don't, I can't figure it out right now.
0: Yeah. It, it, it could be personnel. It could be structure. It could be, fam- I, yeah, there's, there's, it could, a be, it could be,
1: it could be the lack of real good strategic planning as far as how you're handling the offense. Mm-hmm. And tactical adjustments to your opponent—that's kind of what I'm thinking. We'll get to that a little bit more in the in the in the oddities section that's coming up.
0: Well, actually, yeah, we're going to do that right now. So so let's talk about let's talk about John Hines because in in thinking about the structure and the direction of this team, um, you can't have that conversation without talking about John Hines. And th- there have been some very strange things that John Hines has done. Now, I I, I, I want to mention this first that he just coached his 40th game with Nashville. Um, that's including the Arizona playoff series or qualifying round series rather. So tomorrow night, the Monday night game will be his 41st game. The reason I mentioned that is because that is what is in a normal season would be the halfway mark of, of the, uh, of the team. Right? So if John Hines had first started coaching at the beginning of a season, this would now be the halfway mark. So you could you can make some sort of uh, judgment based on that. Um, he, so far, he's 21 18 and 1 in those 40 games, which is not a very good record. That's not a very, that's not, a, even though it's more than 500, it's not a winning record in the NHL. It's like a 530 save percentage or win percentage. Um, so, anyways, I say all that. There have been some very strange things that John Hines has done in these first eight games this season. For example, Colton Sissons getting more 5-on-5 ice time than Matt Duchesne in Saturday's loss to Tampa.
1: Now, I will say, odd to us, not odd if you're listening to what Hines is saying, because they were talking about this in the broadcast last night, that Hines rewards players who have the right attitude, who do the things he asks, and plays in the way he asks. If you are not doing those things, or he doesn't perceive you doing those things, your ice time goes down, you don't get the same deployments. And because yeah. I think it was Chris Mason who made a very big point of this is that some coaches say if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you're not going to get ice time. Or you're going to get demoted lines. And he's and and Mason said a lot of coaches and I'm probably paraphrasing this point don't follow through. Hines follows through.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, if no. you're
1: not yeah, See, so I mean, it is not odd if you listen to what he's actually saying. That
0: it, That's correct. I I think that um, but like you said, I mean Matt Shane has it is is part of John Hines's uh you know. Uh, demand here that they not generate offense because Matt Shane is generating offense, as you pointed out. So, but he's not uh, scoring goals, and maybe he's not yeah. like he's
1: also not like Duchesne is not great defensively. I mean, he has his defensive moments, mm-hmm. but he's it's not his what he does. He's he's a forward. He's not a def- defensive player.
0: Correct. Yeah. Uh, the some more <laughs> oddities. Let's talk about just real quick on the power play. We've already touched on the power play a lot, but just uh, just a couple things. The, the, I already mentioned one just randomly throwing Matthew Olivier out there and then he scores. (laughs) I think that was just kind of hilarious. And then they finally put Ryan Ellis on the power play on the first power play unit, which a number, a number of people have been calling for to replace Victor Arbiton with Ryan Ellis, because Ellis is a much better, um, he's just a, a smarter offensive mind on the, on the power play. And then, excuse me. And then it works and then they kind of go away from it and they start using the power play 2 more which has Victor Robertson on it. So um, that was odd. There's the other things that more lineup related. Healthy scratching Rocco Grimaldi. You mentioned something about not playing the right way. Is that what's happening there? That seems very odd to me because Rocco Grimaldi seemed like the prototypical like workhorse. I mean, he's been since he got here, he's been um, extremely uh, an, an energizing force on that team. And yeah. there were times last year where he was the only player who seemed like they wanted to be out there.
1: I, I think that what Grimaldi's suffering from is there's too much of the same on the team now because, you know, I'm going to lump some guys together that may not be fair to lump them together. But like, I think Grimaldi, Hawa, to a degree con um, these guys are all very samey. They're all yeah. kind of Olivier. depth. Well, I, I don't, Olivier is more of a pure grinder, like, you know, grinder forward. The the other three guys are all supposed to be depth scoring. Mm-hmm. Like these are all guys who you bring in to, to do depth scoring, who, who, you know, you want to do other roles. And they usually like, you know, are they any good in the power play? Maybe, I don't know. Um, but like, you just, I, I just think it's a matter of, are you going to dress Rocco Grimaldi or Eric Halla, or you know? It, and I, I, frankly, I kind of think you may dress Grimaldi over Halla, but that's not what Heinz thinks. I think Heinz sees Halla as maybe being a more skilled player, right? right. Um, certainly, the numbers don't really
0: support that, but right, yeah. And and, and Grimaldi, I think, uh, yeah, no, you're, you're probably right. Where where would he slot in over? Um, someone like Lee, it would be, it would be tough to, to figure that out. I mean, yeah, they're just jamming together a bunch of guys in the bottom six until it works. And it's just right. A mess. Uh, so there was Jared Tenorti randomly getting a start over Mark Bory, However, that was the second game of the back to back. So maybe that was part of the factor, but Jared Tenorti does not need to be playing on this team. He's an AHL player. Uh, how about Cole Smith? Remember that he started, he started the very first game of the season. Where did he go? Why did that happen? Well, <laughs> that's very strange. I, I mean, I think you play him
1: to get jitters out, get him, get him an NHL game before there's yeah, any well, like, stakes. Uh,
0: just, and then that, but, but the why? Why have they not seen one ounce of Ely Tolvanen? If I mean, if they need offense, there's a well, guy on the taxi spot who Cole, has the, more potential than anyone. Cole, Cole well, Smith is a 25 year old product of
1: college. That's, I mean. Granted, that was his like fifth professional game. His first four being in the ECHL. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I mean, you, you can ask me any questions related to Cole Smith. I have no idea why he was signed. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he, they're gonna. Maybe he's gonna like retire and and go and be a scout for the Predators. I I, I don't know. He may be a real smart guy. Yeah, um, he may be a great leader, but he's not an NHL hockey player. I don't even know if he's an AHL hockey player.
0: Yeah, I, and I couldn't it, it, tell you. And that's a game they ended up winning. I think Cole Smith played like five minutes. I mean, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like it mattered. Change, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, he, he it didn't wasn't do like anything. <laughs> he had one like near chance that was kind of lucky, but mm-hmm.
1: um, he didn't do anything with it.
0: Yeah, it just—I I think maybe the biggest one here is why haven't we seen Ellie Um Maybe it's related to what you just mentioned about the uh, the point about Grimaldi is that they there's uh, there's a logjam. But if there's a log jam it's a log of it, it's a it's a log jam of a bunch of rotting half logs that don't even really fit together <laughs> well, that don't even work um so I don't know it could simply could it, could it be his
1: skating I mean that's the thing Tolvenin like everyone's like if he had the skating he'd probably yeah. be a superstar yeah maybe his skating is keeping him out of the lineup and Hines is like, i want if you can't do this, you can't be in the lineup and you know Tolvenin's maybe trying to get there or can't get there." I, I, I don't have an explanation when you when your team can't score goals. They're what twenty sixth in goal scoring the league right now. Yeah, pretty bad. I mean, I I don't know why you're you're not trying to to up the offense. Um, now, granted, I think they're eleventh in goals against. So you know if they could get the PK straightened out, then you could watch some really boring hockey games and yeah, watch I, the scrape through in the playoffs. To-
0: I think people are prepared for that. I, I think I think people would be totally on board with that being a being another team like they've seen in the past, where scoring is at a premium, and and there's a lot of close games, one nothing, two one, that kind of thing. Good goaltending. All that stuff. I think people would be on board with that if they're winning, right? I mean, I don't think they'd have any problem with that. And then, especially no, when, they did it for fifteen years. <laughs> especially, exactly, especially when your 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 main goal scorers are some elite players like Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi and probably Matt Shane and Victor Arvidsson, I guess. Uh, but th- there's, I think they are. If they're trying to find their identity, still, we're forty games into the John Hines era. Now, it, that's a very different 40 games than a normal season. It's been a very long road to, to get to that because of the huge issues with the, the COVID-19 pandemic and returning to play and all that stuff. So it's it's been a very different road. You you can't fault him for that. But if we're 40 games in, have we seen enough of John Hines to think this is going in the right direction? Uh, so I'm, I think we have this list of oddities,
1: and I think they all are odd um I, I think it it shows that he's not really sure or he's not sure either how to, he's either not sure how to deploy his assets in the most effective way or his coaching philosophy prevents him from trusting his players to get the job done because he's going to play the hustle guy over someone who do, who you know doesn't look like he's working hard enough or you know, it's like, you know, if I need to score, I need to do the following things. No, well, if you don't do the Heinz things, you don't play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it, it puts the players in a difficult position. It constrains them in some ways. Um, I, I don't necessarily get why Philip Forsberg needs to be coached to play grinding hockey and to use his body to get net position. The The guy is a wizard with the stick, is a great skater, can dance around people, I don't want him taking the body. I want him with the puck moving it in interesting places and doing interesting things. But he's being coached to do the opposite. Um and you know, can Forsberg throw the body around and and you know, fight for position? Absolutely, he's a tough guy. Uh, he's got size and strength, but it's not using his, his skill set to the full extent. It seems like the only person who's really allowed to do their own thing is Roman Yossi. <laughs> <laughs> like right yeah like for whatever reason roman Yosi does is allowed to do whatever and it's fine <laughs> which i don't mind because he's super talented uh but it does make me look at the rest of the team and wonder like you know why, why why do things this way why set a power play unit two with a bunch of cast offs and then when you actually when you change things up find something that works give people an opportunity you revert back to what's not working I mean, we've all seen that, you know, that there's a combination of Duchesne, Forsberg, and Grandland that is spectacular.
0: But they only get like they just kind of come together by accident rather than intent. Do you think that there's a little bit of like, why can't you be more like your brother? Uh, stuff going on with the Romaniosi stuff, where it's like um, he's obviously given free reign to do whatever he can. He can go anywhere in the offensive of zone. He can. He can play up as much. He can pinch whenever he wants. He can make mistakes and then not worry about his ice time cutting down. Do you think that there's some of that with like maybe a Dante Fabro or maybe uh, a Luke Cunnan, who's like there's a, there's a little bit more hesitancy on their part because they know that they don't have the same clout as as a Yossi or even as a Forsberg. They they can't take those chances. Do you think there's some of that? Hmm. I. I... So
1: with with Cunningham, especially coming to a new team maybe I mean he's still pretty young. Yeah. Um so he's he's got some development some time. I I don't really know that Cunnan feels like he knows where his place is in the team quite yet. Uh, is he a second liner? Is he a, a third liner? There's a little ambiguity there and I think that makes it tough to settle in additionally being a pandemic season that's super yeah. weird. Dante Fabro I don't I don't know. I was I'm I was really looking for him to step up in his sophomore season, I have not seen it. I, I don't – at this point, I'm not sure if if it's coaching or if he just doesn't have it. Um, I don't – but I know he works hard. I know he has a great attitude. I know he's smart. I know he works hard. Those are the things that Hines in the coaching staff value. So he doesn't really see that – he doesn't really see it in the same way. I mean, because that's the thing. The defense isn't really affected by a lot of the same things the forward lines are affected by. I mean, how bad do you have to be to actually get Scratch's defenseman? I mean, it it seems like you know that Yosi and and uh, Ellis are going to get a ton of time and that you're going to fill in the blanks. And you know, certainly we don't we, it took how long before we saw you know anything try like they they like try to rebalance the second pairing. We saw a few times this season um, you know, Ellis drop down with Eckholm and and Fabro jump jump up with Yossi. but you can't do that because now Yossi has to play babysitter.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: and it constrains Yossi. So you need a good defenseman next to Yossi so that Yossi can do Yossi things. Uh,
0: you know the the, the thing about Fabro and and I I didn't know. Um, th- we're we're going off script here, and that's totally fine. I was wondering about Fabro the other day, and I was thinking about how he is. He, I, I think. I think the first thing you said about him, just maybe not having it, is probably closer to true. But I think the other problem is, I think even if he was, even if he ended up being a better, even if even if he improved and was better over his career, he's always going to be compared to what I think is an incredible crop of young defensemen in the NHL right now. I mean, even in his cohort, uh, I was just looking it up. He's got he's got guys like uh, Jacob Chikrin. Uh, he's got guys like Charlie McAvoy, Sam Girard, Mikhail Sergachev. All those guys are are in his draft class, and then all the people after that: uh, Quinn Hughes, of course, Ka- uh, Kale McCarr. Um, you've got uh, I'm missing missing some pretty big ones, but um, th- there's there's been some incredible defense. Miro Heiskinen. that that's a big one. Uh, there, there's been some incredible defensemen drafted early on: Rasmus Dalin, who are younger than him. And better than him, and it's like because he's not, you know, Rasmus Dahlin or Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr, uh, he's gonna he's gonna stand up. Is he gonna end up being like a serviceable top four defenseman? I think probably, but I don't think he's gonna he's not gonna become one of those other guys. He's just not that good. He doesn't have that. Tie, that even even Ty Smith with the Devils looks better than him right now, and he's like eighteen or something.
1: Yeah, I I just I kind of think that. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's coming into a ceiling. I do think he could be deployed a little bit better. I think he could be encouraged to to look for passes. I mean, setting him up really to run to run the breakout rather than him be the primary defense. Because a lot of times you have like a guy who's going to get the puck to the breakout defenseman who's going to get the puck up the ice. Like we've seen some incredible passes and some great moves from Fabro on that end. Um, I just think he needs to be enabled on that a little bit more. Um, I think he could be effective. You know, I I think he could be more effective. I, yeah. I just I just wonder if we're seeing another like squandering of development. Yeah, I, I, you very well could be right. I, the other thing that bugs me, and this has just been on my mind, and I don't want to forget it, is I continue to wonder how much influence uh, David Poyle has, not just on roster decisions, like acquisition, <laughs> you know, acquiring players, managing players, etc. But, like, on the actual philosophy of how the team executes. Now, I know he's the guy in charge of hiring coaches and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, that comes into play there. But it, it just seems so strange. And and it's partially probably because of the pandemic year. But, like, after a few years of, like, really exciting, dynamic, powerful, predators teams, it, when the team is, like, on the downward trend, his response is to revert back to his old days, go into a turtle team, and you know just kind of coast coast along uh it's just not an exciting or interesting way it's not certainly not going to set the team up for success in the future they're going to bleed talent and they don't really it, their pipeline is eh, it's okay yeah it's not again it's lacking top
0: end forwards where we heard that before it's actually locked, lacking like probably defensemen as well at this point I think that David Paul doesn't have a lot of influence in the development side at this point. And the only reason I say that is because he has made some really strange comments about like where players are going to play before. And then the Laviolette and or John Hines have been like, no, that's not going to happen. So, or at least that that's not how it's, how it's turned out. Um, I mean, remember the infamous Nick, Nick Bonino is going to be our two C and then two months into the season, they trade for Kyle Turris, Uh, like, <laughs> I, so I think I think David Paul doesn't have a ton of influence. I do think that the the pandemic has really um, affected how he signs players. I think all of those signings were all like under three million or whatever, and they were all or under four million at least. They were all very cost effective. They were all short contracts. He didn't go out and sign some big big long term because I I think he just doesn't know the long term you know ramifications of signing a big contract in a year like 2020, 2021. So. That could be part of it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, none of us really know. But I, I, my gut is that he only, ha- only has influence on um, what pieces are there, that he doesn't touch a lot of the development of the players.
1: I, I'm, well, I, I'm thinking about the philosophy
0: over the overall you know, does he
1: does he bring the coaching staff into the office and say yeah this is the natural predators this is how we're going to play hockey this is how we're going to be successful find a way to make it happen i mean you know it's the ceo giving orders to his head of coaching you know his the mm-hmm. vp of coaching uh i i just you know i find it to be kind of baffling and fans certainly aren't responding well to how the the,
0: the play is happening um that's true. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting conversation. We'll have we'll have we'll have to save that one for another uh, for another another podcast because I think there's a lot to that, and um, we'll, we might just have to see more of John Hines. We might just have to see more of of the development here. But so far, I think it's it's safe to say we we the the first chapter of the John Hines era has not been great. Um, it's it there are some things that are improved. There's other things that are not improved at all. Um, it, the circumstances are tough, but John Hines definitely needs to have a better second chapter than his first chapter, I think um, uh, to say the least. So uh, speaking of that starts Monday because we have three games, the predators have three games this week. Uh, the first one, a second game against Tampa um, at 6 PM tomorrow. That's Monday, uh, February 1st. We're already in February, Um, Thursday, and Friday, back-to-back against the Florida Panthers. So all three road games this week. Um, first chance to see Florida. I have not watched one lick of Florida this year. I barely could tell you who they are. I just know they have Alexander Barkov, and that's enough. He's very good.
1: <laughs> Alexander Barkov, the, the, the player every Predators fan wanted. <laughs> um, was, that, was that the year they got um, Seth Jones? Was that the, was that, that draft? It might be. I can't remember because everyone's like, we're going to get Barkov. We're going to get Barkov. And it's like, oh, don't worry. Now we're going to get Seth Jones. <laughs> um, is that?
0: Oh, is killing? Right. He's twenty five, and I think Seth Jones twenty five too. Yep twenty twenty thirteen entry draft. Yep, second second overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's still man. I, yeah. Such a different world because, <sighs> I, as we all know, it, as I've said, Seth Jones is really good at, at looking like he's doing cool, good things when he's really not.
0: <laughs> I think Seth Jones is very he's, good.
1: I I. I, I I don't see it. Um, I think he's really good at, at think
0: making people think he's good. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Florida this week, back to back against Florida, um, and then uh, that's it for the week. Only three games this week. Um, so the Predators need need some wins. They need to go in. Uh, they really need to bounce back against Tampa and see if they can get a win there. Uh, need to get at least one win against Florida in order to to you know look a little bit better going into the uh, the first quarter turn of the season, as you mentioned. Um, so that's going to do it for us. Uh, you can check out all of our hockey coverage at a to G sports, Nashville.com. Follow me on Twitter at Alex, one follow link on Twitter at three link. Um, uh, do you have any final thoughts this week for us? I do. I actually, I actually was prepared this time.
1: So I was okay. watching the, the, uh, Isabel cup yesterday on Twitch, which is the NWHL tournament taking place in Lake Placid. Um, and so they have the normal broadcast and they all of a sudden I was like watching it and it cuts to kiss cam. And I'm like, I can't believe the NWTL is having a kiss cam. It's also a pandemic. I don't think there's fans in the building and it just cuts, oh, right. it just cuts to the camera. And it's just a bunch of cardboard cutouts in the stands. <laughs> so they just <laughs> yeah. zoom in on cardboard cutouts and are just showing the cardboard cuts on the kiss cam. I That's thought it was great. Um, I really enjoyed that. So um, if you're That's not, um, you, know, you can watch the Isabel cup. I think it's going to be on, so it's going to be on like NBC Sports, isn't it? I think it's going to be. Idea. I think it'll be on. You can, I think you can get it on television, but also it's going to be broadcast on Twitch. Um, it's definitely worth watching. It was some good hockey. Um,
0: so on that sure. note, I, I, if I could add a final thought too, the no,
1: no, this is my segment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the NBC Sports channel is going away. So, like by the end of this year, there's no no more NBC Sports. NBC Sports channel, but. Um, I'm wondering if that means Peacock too. I don't know if you if you have Peacock TV, the, the, the streaming service, but it, the, one reason I have it is because they have a lot of uh, English, uh, Premier League games. Um, not all of them, but they have most of them now. Uh, I, I can't keep up with how NBC has covered the Premier League ever, since, their, since they started coverage. It's been very tricky because at first they were showing all the games and you could screen, stream all of them, and then it was only a – Excuse me, only a few, and you get some on the website and some on TV, and then now it's like they seem to be all on Peacock. So I don't know, but um, I'm wondering if that's. Do you know if that's going to stay? The Peacock TVs still going to have Premier League games? Yeah, I'm sure it will. I mean, they're going okay. to. They really
1: still have the Premier League contract. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I uh, also cool. the the the, um, the next two dates for the Isabel Cup. So the, the semifinals are going to be on NBC Sports Network February 4th um, at 4:30 p.m. And you can watch. You know, they're probably going to have that on NBC Sports Network and the app. And then the final is is, is the fifth at six Central. Um, I think they're playing semifinal game or they're playing early games. I don't know if there's a game today, but yeah, February fourth and fifth um, for the finals. Going to be on NBC Sports Network. Always some good hockey. The NHL, you know, they'll probably schedule ten games to start at eight p.m. Eastern for some reason instead of spreading them out the day. So it should give you plenty of time to watch. <laughs> All right
0: well that's true the nhl will probably <clears throat> f- figure out a way to make it the uh, to, to make the day as as least watchable as possible including blackout everyone from their games that are in there <laughs> there's seven game. games they all at the same time and everyone's blacked out no <laughs> one can watch blacked any out. of the games they're blacked out because of uh it, it, you should be attending the games in uh, it, that you can attend um that's going to do it for us thank you so much for listening um Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you're already listening to it. Then you might have already done that, but if you've not, do it, uh, and we will uh, see you next week. So take it easy, everybody. See ya.